Book One, Chapter Fifteen of the Bostonians. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jacob Madden. The Bostonians by Henry James, Chapter Fifteen. Tarrant, however, kept an eye in that direction. He was solemnly civil to Miss Chancellor, handed her the dishes at table over and over again, and ventured to intimate that the apple fritters were very fine, but save for this, alluded to nothing more trivial than the regeneration of humanity, and the strong hope he felt that Miss Birdseye would again have one of her delightful gatherings. With regard to this latter point, he explained that it was not in order that he might again present his daughter to the company, but simply because on such occasions there was a valuable interchange of hopeful thought, a contact of mind with mind. If Verena had anything suggestive to contribute to the social problem, the opportunity would come. That was part of their faith. They couldn't reach out for it and try and push their way. If they were wanted, their hour would strike. If they were not, they would just keep still and let others press forward who seemed to be called. If they were called, they would know it, and if they weren't, they could just hold on to each other as they had always done. Tarrant was very fond of alternatives. He mentioned several others. It was never his fault if his listeners failed to think him impartial. They hadn't much, as Miss Chancellor could see. She could tell by their manner of life that they hadn't raked in the dollars, but they had faith that, whether one raised one's voice or simply worked on in silence, the principal difficulties would straighten themselves out, and they had also a considerable experience of great questions. Tarrant spoke as if, as a family, they were prepared to take charge of them on moderate terms. He always said, ma'am, in speaking to Olive, to whom, moreover, the air had never been so filled with the sound of her own name. It was always in her ear, save when Mrs. Tarrant and Verena conversed in prolonged and ingenious asides. This was still for her benefit, but the pronouns sufficed them. She had wished to judge Dr. Tarrant, not that she believed he had come honestly by this title, to make up her mind. She had done these things now, and she expressed to herself the kind of man she believed him to be in reflecting that if she should offer him ten thousand dollars to renounce all claim to Verena, keeping he and his wife clear of her for the rest of time, he would probably say, with his fearful smile, make it twenty, money down, and I'll do it. Some image of this transaction, as one of the possibilities of the future, outlined itself for Olive among the moral incisions of that evening. It seemed implied in the very place, the bald bareness of Terence's temporary lair, a wooden cottage with a rough front yard, a little naked piazza, which seemed rather to expose than to protect, facing upon an unpaved road, in which the footway was overlaid with a strip of planks. These planks were embedded in ice or in liquid thaw, according to the momentary mood of the weather, and the advancing pedestrian traversed them in the attitude, and with a good deal of suspense, of a rope-dancer. There was nothing in the house to speak of, nothing, to Olive's sense, but a smell of kerosene. Though she had a consciousness of sitting down somewhere, the object creaked and rocked beneath her, and of a table at tea being covered with cloth stamped in bright colors. As regards the pecuniary transaction with Selah, it was strange how she should have seen it through the conviction that Verena would never give up her parents. Olive was sure that she would never turn her back upon them, would always share with them. She would have despised her had she thought her capable of another course, yet it baffled her to understand why, when parents were so trashy, this natural law should not be suspended. 
such a question brought her back however to her perpetual enigma the mystery she had already turned over in her mind for hours together the wonder of such people being verena's progenitors at all she had explained it as we explained all exceptional things by making the part as the french say of the miraculous she had come to consider the girl as a wonder of wonders to hold that no human origin however congruous it might superficially appear would sufficiently account for her that her springing up between selah and his wife was an exquisite whim of the creative force and that in such a case a few shades more or less of the inexplicable didn't matter it was notorious that great beauties great geniuses great characters take their own times and places for coming into the world leaving the gaping spectators to make them fit in and holding from far-off ancestors or even perhaps straight from the divine generosity much more than from their ugly or stupid progenitors they were incalculable phenomena anyway as selah would have said Verena, for olive was the very type and model of the gifted being her qualities had not been bought and paid for they were like some brilliant birthday present left at the door by an unknown messenger to be delightful forever as an inexhaustible legacy and amusing forever from the obscurity of its source they were superabundantly crude as yet happily for olive who promised herself as we know to train and polish them but they were as genuine as fruit and flowers as the glow of the fire or the plash of water for her scrutinizing friend verena had the disposition of the artist the spirit to which all charming forms come easily and naturally it required an effort at first to imagine an artist so untaught so mistaught so poor in experience but then it required an effort also to imagine people like the old terence or a life so full as her life had been of ugly things only an exquisite creature could have resisted such associations only a girl who had some natural light some divine spark or taste there were people like that fresh from the hand of omnipotence they were far from common but their existence was as incontestable as it was beneficent terence talk about his daughter her prospects her enthusiasm was terribly painful to olive it brought back to her what she had suffered already from the idea that he laid his hands upon her to make her speak that he should be mixed up in any way with this existence of her genius was a great injury to the cause and olive had already determined that in future verena should dispense with his cooperation the girl had virtually confessed that she lent herself to it only because it gave him pleasure and that anything else would do as well anything that would make her quiet a little before she began to give out olive took it upon herself to believe that she could make her quiet though certainly she had never had the effect upon any one she would mount the platform with verena if necessary and lay her hands upon her head why in the world had a perverse fate decreed that terence should take an interest in the affairs of woman as if she wanted his aid to arrive at her goal a charlatan of the poor lean shabby sort without the humour brilliancy prestige which sometimes throw a drapery over shallowness mr pardon evidently took an interest as well and there was something in his appearance that seemed to say that his sympathy would not be dangerous he was much at his ease plainly beneath the roof of the terence and olive reflected that though verena had told her much about him she had not given her the idea that he was as intimate as that what she had mainly said was that he sometimes took her to the theatre olive could enter to a certain extent into that she herself had a phase some time after her father's death her mother had preceded his when she bought the little house in charles street and began to live alone during which she accompanied gentlemen to respectable places of amusement 
she was accordingly not shocked at the idea of such adventures on verena's part than which indeed judging from her own experience nothing could well have been less adventurous her recollections of these expeditions were as of something solemn and edifying of the earnest interest in her welfare exhibited by her companion there were few occasions on which the young bostonian appeared to more advantage of the comfort of other friends sitting near who were sure to know whom she was with of serious discussion between the acts in regards to the behavior of the characters in the piece and of the speech at the end with which as the young man quitted her at the door she rewarded his civility i must thank you for a pleasant evening she always felt that she made that too prim her lips stiffened themselves as she spoke but the whole affair had always a primness this was discernible even to olive's very limited sense of humor it was not so religious as going to evening service at king's chapel but it was the next thing to it of course all girls didn't do it there were families that viewed such a custom with disfavor but this was where the girls were of the romping sort there had to be some things they were known not to do as a general thing moreover the practice was confined to the decorous it was a sign of culture and quiet tastes all this made it innocent for verena whose life had exposed her to much worse dangers but the thing referred itself in olive's mind to a danger which cast a perpetual shadow there the possibility of the girls embarking with some ingenious youth on an expedition that would last much longer than an evening she was haunted in a word with the fear that verena would marry a fate to which she was altogether unprepared to surrender her and this made her look with suspicion upon all male acquaintance mr pardon was not the only one she knew she had an example of the rest in the persons of two young harvard law students who presented themselves after tea on this same occasion as they sat there olive wondered whether verena had kept something from her whether she were after all like so many other girls in cambridge a college belle an object of frequentation to undergraduates it was natural that at the seat of a big university there should be girls like that with students dangling after them but she didn't want verena to be one of them there were some that received the seniors and juniors others that were accessible to sophomores and freshmen certain young ladies distinguished the professional students there was a group even that was on the best terms with the young men who were studying for the unitarian ministry in that queer little barrack at the end of divinity avenue the advent of the new visitors made mrs tarrant bustle immensely but after she had caused every one to change places two or three times with every one else the company subsided into a circle which was occasionally broken by wandering movements on the part of her husband who in the absence of anything to say on any subject whatever placed himself at different points in listening attitudes shaking his head slowly up and down and gazing at the carpet with an air of supernatural attention mrs tarrant asked the young men from the law school about their studies and whether they meant to follow them up seriously said she thought some of the laws were very unjust and she hoped they meant to try and improve them she had suffered by the laws herself at the time her father died she hadn't got half the property she should have if they had been different she thought they should be public matters not for people's private affairs the ideas always seemed to her to keep you down if you were down and to hedge you in with difficulties sometimes she thought it was a wonder how she had developed in the face of so many but it was proof that freedom was everywhere if you only knew how to look for it the two young men were in the best humor they greeted these sallies with a merriment of which though it was courteous in form olive was by no means usable to define the spirit they talked naturally more with verena than with her mother and while they were so engaged mrs tarrant explained to her who they were and how one of them the smaller 
who was not quite so spruce, had brought the other his particular friend to introduce him. This friend, Mr. Burridge, was from New York. He was very fashionable. He went out a great deal in Boston. "'I have no doubt you know some of the places,' said Mrs. Tarrant. His family was very rich. "'Well, he knows plenty of that sort,' Mrs. Tarrant went on. "'But he felt unsatisfied. He didn't know anyone like us. He told Mr. Gracie, that's a little one, that he felt as if he must. It seemed as if he couldn't hold out. So we told Mr. Gracie, of course, to bring him right round. Well, I hope he'll get something from us, I'm sure. He's been reported to be engaged to Miss Winkworth. I have no doubt you know who I mean. But Mr. Gracie says he hasn't looked at her more than twice. That's the way rumors fly around in that set, I presume. Well, I'm glad we're not in it, whatever we are. Mr. Gracie is very different. He is intensely plain but I believe he is very learned. You don't think him plain? Oh, you don't know? Well, I suppose you don't care. You see so many. But I must say, when a young man looks like that, I call him painfully plain. I heard Dr. Tarrant make the remark the last time he was here. I don't say but what the plainest are the best. Well, I had no idea we were going to have a party when I asked you. I wonder whether Verena hadn't better hand the cake. We generally find the students enjoy it so much. This office was ultimately delegated to Sela, who, after a considerable absence, reappeared with a dish of dainties, which he presented successively to each member of the company. Olive saw Verena lavish her smiles on Mr. Gracie and Mr. Burridge. The liveliest relation had established itself, and the latter gentleman in especial abounded in appreciative laughter. It might have been fancied, just from looking at the group, that Verena's vocation was to smile and talk with young men who bent towards her might have been fancied, that is, by a person less sure of the contrary than Olive, who had reason to know that a gifted being is sent into the world for a very different purpose, and that making the time pass pleasantly for conceited young men is the last duty you are bound to think of if you happen to have a talent for embodying a cause. Olive tried to be glad that her friend had the richness of nature that makes a woman gracious without latent purposes. She reflected that Verena was not in the smallest degree a flirt, that she was only enchantingly and universally genial, that nature had given her a beautiful smile, which fell impartially on everyone, man and woman alike. Olive may have been right, but it shall be confided to the reader that in reality she never knew, by any sense of her own, whether Verena were a flirt or not. The young lady could not possibly have told her, even if she herself knew which she didn't, and Olive, destitute of the quality, had no means of taking the measure in another of the subtle feminine desires to please. She could see the difference between Mr. Gracie and Mr. Burge. Her being bored of Mrs. Tarrant's attempt to point it out is perhaps a proof of that. It was a curious incident of her zeal for the regeneration of her sex that manly things were, perhaps on the whole, what she understood best. Mr. Burge was rather a handsome youth, with a laughing clever face, a certain sumptuosity of apparel, an air of belonging to the fast set, a precious good-natured man of the world curious of new sensations and containing, perhaps, the making of a dilettante. Being, doubtless, a little ambitious, and liking to flatter himself that he appreciated worth in lowly forms, he had associated himself with the ruder but at the same time acuter personality of a genuine son of New England, who had a harder head than his own, and a humor in reality more cynical, and who, having earlier knowledge of the Terence, had undertaken to show him something indigenous and curious, possibly even fascinating. Mr. Gracie was short, with a big head. He wore eyeglasses, looked unkempt, almost rustic, and said good things with his ugly lips. Verena had replies for a good many of them, and a pretty color came into her face as she talked. 
olive could see that she produced herself quite as well as one of these gentlemen had foretold the other that she would miss chancellor knew what had passed between them as well as if she had heard it mr gracie had promised that he would lead her on that she should justify his description and prove the raciest of her class they would laugh about her as they went away lighting their cigars and for many days afterwards their discourse would be enlivened with quotations from the woman's rights girl it was amazing how many ways men had of being antipathetic these two were very different from basil ransom and different from each other and yet the manner of each conveyed an insult to one's womanhood the worst of the case was that verena would be sure not to perceive this outrage not to dislike them in consequence there were so many things that she hadn't yet learned to dislike in spite of her friend's earnest efforts to teach her she had the idea vividly that was the marvel of the cruelty of man of his immemorial injustice but it remained abstract platonic she didn't detest him in consequence what was the use of her having that sharp inspired vision of the history of the sex it was as she had said herself exactly like joan of arc's absolutely supernatural apprehension of the state of france if she wasn't going to carry it out if she was going to behave as the ordinary pusillanimous conventional young lady it was all very well for her to have said that first day that she would renounce did she look at such a moment as this like a young woman who had renounced suppose this glittering laughing burridge youth with his chains and rings and shining shoes should fall in love with her and try to bribe her with his great possessions to practise renunciations of another kind to give up her holy work and to go with him to new york there to live as his wife partly bullied partly pampered in the accustomed burridge manner there was as little comfort for olive as there had been on the whole alarm in the recollection of that off-hand speech of verena's about her preference for free unions this had been mere maiden flippancy she had not known the meaning of what she said though she had grown up among people who took for granted all sorts of queer laxities she had kept the consummate innocence of the american girl that innocence which was the greatest of all for it had survived the abolition of walls and locks and of the various remarks that had dropped from verena expressing this quality that startling observation certainly expressed it most it implied at any rate that unions of some kind or other had her approval and did not exclude the dangers that might arise from encounters with young men in search of sensations end of book one chapter fifteen recording by jacob madden